Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got what we needed when the sun shone down on the Garden of Eden. Gone empty here, uh, but we are running. And um, uh, we will continue to go uh, as long as we possibly can. Uh, any donations would be greatly appreciated. Um, uh, uh, they would be helpful. Uh, John Steiner, do you want to jump in? John, you got a hand? Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Got to unmute you, bro. There you okay. go. I just wanted to ask you, what are your costs for running this every month? And where do they go? And it's so important, but we usually don't think about what it really costs you guys to do what we get to participate in. Okay, so it's about six or seven grand a month, uh, which is bupkis in, in, in the foundation world. Um, uh, Wendy, Steve, and Mike, um, and I all get paid uh, a certain amount. I did just buy a laptop, which saved us last week because I didn't have a power cord for my desktop. So, um, and uh, basically it's six or seven grand a month and 99% uh, of it goes uh, just to the people who um, uh, do it. I, I do it almost full time. And uh, Mike, Steve, and uh, Wendy are invaluable. And Harvey, I assume that if anybody watching here has any leads that they want to take you to personally, that uh, you wouldn't uh, reject those. No, absolutely. I never reject a lead. <laughs> I love leads. <laughs> okay. Are we on the second half now? See, thank you for that, John. And that um, was a that was a leading question. And, yes. and yes, yes, we are on our second half, running, running ahead, running nearly on empty but not running blind. Well, we'll be, we'll be empty November 1st. So anybody can, um, can donate, that would be wonderful. We appreciate it. And um, uh, we did get a good response last time. We don't, we don't like to hound people. So, um, uh, or as they say in the world of Yiddish, Hakachainik. Um, um, uh, Tatanka, you have a hand? And I, just, I just wanna to apologize if, if I felt a little weird. I thought you were broadcasting music, something 15 years ago, kick my iTunes on and I had Dylan and Jackson Brown, everybody going in the background. I could not hear a thing. And I was about to make a comment about, you know, I know this is concert, but I can't hear what people are, are saying. And I thought you were broadcasting it to everyone. It's just hilarious. I was about to tell my story of how I, I helped Stephen Stills on an airplane with his sister, Ty Stills. Stephen was one of those guys who just has tremendous hearing loss. And when the only place at times he uh, uh, could drown out the sound of the, uh, the, the, the sound in his head was to catch a, a late night transcontinental flight and sit next to the, uh, the engine of the airplane. It would, it would make a noise louder than the noise in his head so he could sleep. I think, I think Beethoven did the same thing when he was writing yeah. the symphony. So um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Clifford, we have a, um, a Richard Langworthy. I don't re recognize your name. And then we're going to go to Clifford and to uh, uh, Dorothy. Um, about the uh, hello, am, am I free to talk? Yes, go ahead, real quick. Hi, my name is Richard Langworthy. Greetings from the United Kingdom. And I've been following these um, midterm elections very closely. And I'm really worried for what America's future has in store. Well, with, these, with these election deniers fixing the system and Trump having rigged the Supreme Court, I feel, and I'm really worried what will happen if you lose the midterms. I yeah, feel extreme. Yes, I feel yes. it. I feel extreme measures will have to be taken if all else fails. You want me to stay with us and, and go come with us to the end of the hour. Uh, Clifford Tasner has been patiently waiting in L.A. He is the, um, I don't know what your title is. He, thank you. Uh, I, I am the, uh, I'm the president. Guess. I'm the president of Americans for Democratic Action, Southern California chapter. ADA was okay. founded by Eleanor Roosevelt in 1947. It is a multi-issue left progressive organization. We're a national organization. I'm actually the secretary of the national because somebody got word that I take really good minutes and I couldn't, couldn't shed that. So I'm the president of the local chapter and uh, I'm actually posting our website uh, right now on the chat. So ADA 
SoCal.org. No. Uh, and you can go there and you can uh, see our endorsements for the midterm election if you're curious or interested. We're, as I said, a progressive organization. Uh, there are very few corporatists up there. We didn't bother to endorse them, but uh, so you know, this is a this is a very uh, scary election. And, and you wanted to talk about the scandal that's uh, ripping apart LA's uh, political structure. Well, you want to talk here's about? The here's the situation. I know Dorothy also wants to jump in. Yeah. Um, and it's generic as well as important to Los Angeles is that there's a very very close friend of ours, a good progressive named Kevin DeLeon, who is on the city council of Los Angeles. And he is very pro-solar. He ran for mayor. He ran for U.S. Senate against uh, Diane Feinstein. Um, uh, I've met him a number of times. And um, if um, he would, well, Clifford, if you'll explain the situation and Dorothy okay. will jump in, I think everybody yeah. will find it of interest because Kevin himself is an important character in uh, LA, in California politics. And it's a generically revealing situation. So go ahead if you would, please. So yeah, so um, basically about a year ago, there was a private conversation of four very prominent Latino leaders in Los Angeles, uh, Nuri Martinez, who was then the uh, president of the city council. And this is a city where our city council is designed where it's more powerful than the mayor. There are other cities where the mayor is sort of more like a king. This is not one of them. The mayor kind of has to go along with what the city council does. So in a sense, she was really LA's politically most powerful person. She was with Ron Herrera, who was the uh, head of the County Federation of Labor. And also uh, with Kevin DeLeon and Gil Cedillo, who are both long-term, uh, you know, great history of, of activism, Latino activism, but progressive activism. Uh, and they're both city councilmen. And uh, Nori Martinez unleashed a, a torrent of incredibly racist, homophobic, invective, she, you know, called the, the African-American child of, of a gay city councilman. First, she referred to him in a negative term, and then she referred to the child as a little monkey who deserved to have a beatdown for the way he, a two or three-year-old child was having fun on a parade float, and it irked her. Uh, she managed to sneak in some comments about Jewish people, about Armenians. It was just, she unleashed this, and, and the others part participated at no point in the conversation did one of them say well nori that's a little much or maybe a racist much or you know just any kind of you know i find myself sometimes in racist you know, i'll find myself in the company of somebody's racist and i you know sometimes i don't want to be like get indignant and storm out but i'll say hey you know it's really funny but the words that are coming out of your mouth it's the funniest thing they make you sound like a racist i know you're not a racist but these words sound very racist to me you know and, or homophobic or whatever and my dog is very upset about it too. She's in the background, <laughs> quite indignant about the whole thing. But uh, in any case, the uh, oh yes, you also also they, she said they said horrible things about Oaxacan people, the indigenous people of the one state of Mexico that has the largest indigenous population. Horrible things about these people. A lot of them are not Spanish speakers. They are Mexican by by origin in terms of the country they were born in, but they really have been here. They predate the Spanish. And uh, so, there, you know, she's an all, uh, all opportunity offender. And um, so she has stepped down. Ron Herrera of the County Federation of Labor has stepped down. Um, Kevin Leone and Gil Cedillo have not stepped down yet. Uh, there is some sense that someone affiliated with uh, the campaign of Rick Caruso, who is the conservative, just only was a Republican just recently, but running in a city that's about 85% Democratic, he became a Democrat. He's a billionaire developer conservative billionaire developer who's running for mayor and spending 60 million of his own dollars to try to buy this seat. And uh, there's some sense that this was released to help him. And certainly it gives him an opportunity to ride in on a white horse and say, oh, I'm the only one who LA is broken and you can't elect a politician to solve these problems. Have me come in and I'll solve all these problems in the most corporate Republican way I possibly can. So, you know, so as of yet, Kevin DeLeon and Gil Cedillo have not stepped down. Joe Biden has asked them to step down. Um, I really have a warm spot in my heart for Kevin. I worked very hard to try to get him elected to the Senate. It would have been a vast improvement over Dianne Feinstein, who's been an incredible woeful disappointment to Californians for many, many, many years as a conservative Democrat who is usually voting with the Republicans, even voted with President Trump more than any other Democrat um, on various issues. So uh, it would have been nice. I like Kevin. Um, I've spent time with him. I've talked to him. I think he has a good heart. At the same time, during the conversation, he complained about the African-Americans 
who there to be 25 of them and they sound like 250 of them rather than us very, you know, very polite Latinos. And I guess the most important thing about this is this wasn't just a group of people in a room saying abusive and inappropriate things to each other in private. This was a group of very powerful leaders getting involved in trying to carve up the city in terms of the redistricting process in a way that would benefit them and hurt those that they perceive to be their political enemies, the African-Americans on the city council, the progressives on the city council. They managed to draw district lines that took Nithya Rahman, who was a Bernie crowd, who was a leftist, who got elected to the city council, and they moved her to a district that is only barely has any of her own constituency in. They divided up Koreatown because they did not want the Oaxacans, who are largely renters, to be a unified force because the renters will support Nithia because Nithia is taking on the developers and the developers are largely funding a lot of these people. Gil Cedillo lost his own race in the city council. He's gonna be leaving very shortly to a progressive, Eunices Hernandez, because he has had a relationship, a cozy relationship with developers and they've gentrified so much of a district that is largely poor working class Latino people. And uh, so, you know, this was powerful people in a room Beyond just the racism involved, this was powerful people conspiring to draw districts in a way that would take power away from other people and consolidate their power. So that's really for me the issue, you know. Well, the question becomes, what do we do about this when someone we really like and trust and has a great progressive history is caught in this net? Dorothy Reich, you're a close friend of Kevin's, a big supporter. Um, and I, I hope this is of interest to people. This is not just a Los Angeles issue. This is a bigger deal. Bigger deal. And, uh, you know, LA is the first solartopia. I don't know where that noise is coming from. But. All right. So we have a problem in Los Angeles in that the Latinos represent half of the population in Los Angeles. And they have nowhere near the representation on the city council that they would be entitled to by, by the fact that they have 50% of the population here. So this was a meeting to talk about, about that. It, because of the tone that Nuri sent, set, it became uh, really upsetting. Uh, you have to remember that Kevin was new to the city council. Kevin did not vote for Nuri. All these people who want him to resign, they knew who Nuri was and they voted for her anyway. Because the stuff that she was saying in that meeting, she said stuff like that for, for many years. Uh, Kevin, Nuri is Kevin's boss. He was not on an equal footing with her. So when she started spouting all that stuff, it would have been really awkward for him to call her out because she could have she could have taken revenge on him and you can see by the things that she said that she's perfectly capable and willing to take revenge on anybody kevin has worked for the people of california for probably 30 years maybe more he he started out as as a child of a guatemalan mother with no father living in a basement while his mother cleaned houses and somehow he managed to pull himself up from that humble beginning and become one of the most powerful men in California, the most powerful people when he was the Senate pro tem. He passed legislation about climate change, about actually global warming, about making uh, California a sanctuary city. And he passed legislation that was so competent that when Trump tried to sue him and sue the state, that legislation stood and they, could, they couldn't break it down. He's started a, a, a savings plan for for people who whose companies did not provide that and on and on and on legislation he supported medicare for all he got it out of committee that got killed in the house but he got it out of the senate uh just such a long list and i don't know if you were there um cliff when we gave him an award and he got an award for activism out inside the democratic party and that same day, Alina Abdullah, who is now torturing him, had got an award for activism outside the Democratic Party. And Kevin made a speech that was listed all his accomplishment. And Joel Siegel was blown away. He said, this guy should be president. 
But ever since he ran against Dianne Feinstein, the Democratic Party has been after him and they've been trying to destroy him. And now that he has this little slip after 30 years of, and they, because he didn't attack Nuri, his boss, they want to throw him under the bus. And the most ironic thing is that Kevin is the one who supported black candidates against Latino candidates for seats on the city council. If Susie Shannon was here, she could name the names and tell you all about it. But people now are, and, and it's 25, you know, this Wizard of Oz business with the 25 people, that's something he said over and over again about lots of different issues where people claim they have massive bases of support when they really don't. So that's just a little trope that he uses and they want, he didn't just use it about this. He wasn't even Thank talking you. about black people. Thank you. So let me finish. Okay. And now these people have camped out outside his house. They have set up expensive camp, expensive tents with printing on them saying 25 people or whatever it is. And they, they banged on his door. The police had to keep them away from his property because there's a law that you can't go within 300 feet of some of a elected official's property. So they're they're there on the street. They're they've been there for days. They're planning to stay there forever. Uh, Kevin cannot go home. He can't live in his home anymore. And I have advised him, and others have advised him, because his his of course his district will have no representation if they force him to resign that he needs to stay and he needs to do the work of the people as he's been doing for the last 30 years. And I'm sorry if, uh, you know, he didn't jump up and, and run out of the room, but sometimes that's not what happens. They're trying to get the redistricting to where Latino people had the representation that they deserve. And uh, I'm, so, I'm fortunate that Nuri is, is, is probably a racist, but certainly Kevin is not a racist and everybody who knows him knows that very well. Well, the whole thing smacks to me as a purge, but, um, you know, uh, thank you for that, Dorothy. You know him very well. Uh, Clifford, do you want anything else? I know for the Paul Sherman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I recognize this is a city that has a, a Latino majority. And what we really need to do is redistrict, and we need about twice as many city council people. We have 4 million people, or four, there's like 4 million people in this city, and you've got 15 people representing all of them. It's ridiculous. So there's no question. And I really like Kevin. I would love to wave a magic wand and have him not have been in the room. I would have loved to have Mitchell Farrell be in the room instead of Kevin. There are plenty of city council people I would have rather had be listening to Nori Martinez and chiming in occasionally. I mean, he made a kind of snide comment where he compared Mike Bonin's son to a Louis Vuitton bag, like it was some, he was waving him around like an accessory. The point is he participated. Now, there are times when you're in the company of some offensive person and you don't know what to say. Um, I think saying nothing is better, but uh, I like Kevin. I wish this hadn't happened to him. I believe that he's on the side of good on a lot of things. And at the same time, you know, I mean, he did participate. He never even, as I said, there are friendly, fun ways to suggest to somebody that they're being inappropriate without calling them out and putting your job in danger. So that's what I would say. We need a bigger city council. We need sensitivity training on the part of our elected officials and we need to uh, redistrict and it needs to be done, not by city council people. Anytime, gerrymandering, when you have people drawing their own districts all over the country. You know, we all talk about trying to, to work together and make things better. I would, first of all, he did not compare. He, when she said that he used my, his, his son as, as a as a accessory, he pointed out to her, he just made fun of her and saying, yeah, yeah, like you and your Louis Vuitton bag. He wasn't referring to the child. He was referring to her. But um, I would throw this out to you. We are all wanting, when people commit a crime or do something wrong, we want, we want restorative justice. We want peace and reconciliation. I think if the people in South Africa can do peace and re reconciliation, I think the people of Los Angeles can do the same. And I think the city council can do the same. And I would like to see some kind of a meeting or some kind of a, a, a group, whatever, and, and lay this out and let the, the public hear and let them speak and let and let everybody get it out and, and talk about what's really going on in this broken city of ours, instead of throwing someone like Kevin DeLeon under the bus. Gil Cedillo, he's, he's, he lost his election. 
So he, he, it doesn't matter with him. The one person who is really being hurt by this because Nuri was the guilty party is Kevin. And I have to say that, that he was warned by friends not to get involved in the city council because it, it, it's a den of, of it's serpents. It's it's evil place. And he wanted to serve his, his, his district. He wanted to stay in government. He could have done something else. He could have become a lobbyist and made a lot of money. He didn't have to put himself into this position in the city council, but he did because he wanted to do what's right and he wanted to do what's good. And now look what's happened to him. And I think we all need to stick up for him and we need to stand by him and encourage the city okay. to come together, and hear him out and, and put it on the table and let's right. work it out. Thank you, George. Can't we all get along? We're, we're being asked to move out of Los Angeles a little bit. Our next We've got a couple of people with their hands up. Maybe they want to ask. Hey, I'm gonna, uh, Linda Hutchison Bowles will be next. But first, we're going to go to Paul Sherman and then Leah Hertzberg. Paul, go ahead. Paul, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hi. Hi, everyone. Uh, uh, very nice to hear what, what you said, you know, um, Clifford and uh, Dorothy. Totally agree uh, with you. Um, I, I didn't know about the uh, voter guide, but uh, Justin was suggesting I throw out two other ones. I don't know how it compares. I'm going to be looking at that actually today. Um, how's everybody uh, look at the DSA-LA voter guide? That's Democratic Socialists of America, DSA-LA.org. And the other one, which is basically an organization called Ground Game, which is uh, even more militant, is NOC. I, I know there's a lot of papers and rags and all that, but K-N-O-C-K-LA.org is also very, very good and extremely um, uh, you know, laborious in their analyses and what they write. It's a very long website. I'll be interested to see how you agree, uh, Clifford, on, I, on what I they say. I most of our endorsements probably are, are in agreement with both of those organizations. And, and then the two other voter guides that I find is very moderate and liberal, if not <laughs> somewhat, you know, neoliberal, is the LA Progressive. Good people, Dick and Sharon, you know, love them a lot but very progressive, very, very moderate and except for weighing in on, on the four women district attorney judges that I hope, you know, Ji Young Park and everybody, um, I don't basically give them any, you know, le less than a grain of salt. There's laprogressive.org. And then the CADM, the thing with the California Democratic Party, Tatanka, is they suggest Proposition 30 gets a yes vote, whereas Newsom himself says no. That's interesting. Right, right his own party. Um, and, and, and the other thing, uh, Dorothy, um, I agree with you that it would have been better if Mitch was there and some of the other council members who are already gone, like uh, Mark Ridley Thomas and a few others, I can't remember that have already been ejected, but yes. Um, Kevin DeLeon, you know, needs, needs to be there. So for the sanctuary state, SB 54, yeah, he's, he's a, a good person. And it's, I would just add in, in closing, it seems to me to be a failure of education. That is this person here, Nori, probably grew up with not a lot of education in a sterile, toxic household. And her environment was one of, of childhood racism. And so that's all she knew. And so okay. maybe it's a middle-class or upper-class opportunity as she lift yourself maybe she went to a private school or charter school instead of a public school we would say we need okay. two things free education and free health care and a, a third abortion rights freedom for for any woman and that's it that's it all the other okay. issues that are important need to take a back seat that's okay. it thank you for that paul leah hertzberg and then we're going to go uh, we're going to leave la and, and go uh, on a on a different tack leah hertzberg Yes, I'd like to ask if it would be in order to vote to support Kevin and then send that vote to the city council, the LA Times and the mayor of LA. I think that's a good thing to do. Um, um, maybe uh, ADA could handle that. We don't, we don't do those kind of votes on these calls. It's a brilliant suggestion. Why don't you get directly in touch with Cliff uh, or with- uh, we've, already, we've already issued a statement about it. and. 
we you know we do recognize we we we're our, our board does does want everybody to step down sorry we love kevin but uh you know this uh he, he was you know i mean you could say well lots of other people lots of other people watched nori martinez say racist stuff and never said anything about it and you know they weren't caught and generally you know somebody gets caught we don't not punish them because other people have gotten away with the same thing so we issued a statement but really what we're talking about is what's more important is that what la needs is a an objective nonpartisan redistricting process uh, clifford, yeah. clifford thank, thank you so much you've made a very very excellent okay. presentation okay. we don't need to hear it again okay. um, no, no, sluggo, sluggo what great. we could do is is there's an entity called padaka and maybe you could take it up with padaka dorothy oh, yeah okay that's, yeah. that's a good suggestion uh, padaka has a petition um and um, um, um clifford your uh, ada is absolutely invaluable to that uh, to all that and you know, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt and I used to go out together, so I, I feel very um, um, uh, protective of, of ADA. Uh, Dorothy will give you the last word, and then we're going to move to Linda Hutchins Knowles. Thank you very much for that, Leah, and please do contact. Uh, yeah, again, I say this is not about punishment. This is about reconciliation, about talking it out. Kevin has supported black people in the city council and in the city of, of Los Angeles much more than the other members of the council. And I would venture to say that no one of us would survive having our comments that we make when we think no one's listening uh, reveal that the uh, LA Fed is, uh, has been taping and we don't know what else they have. We don't know why Ron stepped down because he didn't say much, but they've got, they've been Russian taping him for years. So it is, an issue of, it is an issue of privacy as far as I'm concerned. Sorry. And not because they want to publish the, the video, the, the sound uh, first, right. they came out and the LA Times, they in the LA Times, it, and we don't know who, who released it or why. Uh, this is, you know, this city has enough problems without people trying to pull us further apart. Thank you so much. Thank you, uh, Clifford. It's great to have you on. We'll have you back again. Uh, Dorothy, as always. Thank you, Harvey, for what you do. Callers. We're going to move on now. Uh, thank you. And Paul Sherman. We're going to move on now to Linda Hutchinson's, Hutchins Knowles. Uh, Linda was brought to us by Wendy Liederman. Uh, we're at 627 Eastern Time. We still have 60 people with us. And um, um, uh, so, uh, Wendy, if you will uh, introduce um, uh, our next guest, uh, that would be great. Thank you so much. Um, great conversation, everybody. Glad to be able to get to Linda here. I actually met at the Circle of 100 through Tatanka, so I have to give him um, proper credit for that. And she's awesome and amazing. She's a great spirit, and she's um really knows her stuff. She's working on um getting a equitable charging infrastructure and um, a lot of other just great um, green innovations in California, which of course will be replicated elsewhere. Um, I know one of the initiatives, um, I think it was just vetoed, but they're also thinking about talking about Prop 30 and just for, forgive me if I'm missing anything. So we're just gonna shoot it over to Linda and, and let her go. So thanks so much, Linda. Great to have you with us. Thank you for the invitation. I'm really glad to be here with you all today. Um, I just, I'm inspired by folks being so paying attention, so aware of what's going on and, and not standing by when things are not right. So thank you for everybody on this call, what you're doing. Um, I'll just share my story as a way of introduction. Like, why am I even here today? Um, I had a climate wake up crisis um, when I was a parent of young children. And I saw a graph that showed that if we don't stop uh, fossil fuel production, like cold turkey, um, it's, it's pretty much, you know, devastation for our planet and our children. But I, I realized as a parent, what could I do, right? Um, parents are busy. We have lots of responsibilities. So I got involved with a climate group that was focused on parents, mobilizing mothers called Mothers Out Front. That was my first step um, into climate activism. And then after working with Mothers Out Front for several years, um, I realized um, I really wanted to work on the number one contributor to the climate crisis currently, which is transportation. In terms of the greenhouse gas emissions, the biggest sector is, is in our country, at least in our state is transportation. And this issue really affected me because it's a, it's a sweet spot with three values I care about. The climate, as I mentioned, equity and health. And the fact that we are using gas powered cars 
um, pollutes the environment so that there's a huge burden on especially low-income communities, people living close to highways. The transportation um, emissions are literally killing people. There's studies showing how many people who are, di are dying due to lack of access to clean air. And the climate is boiling and there's no equity in terms of who can afford to drive the cleanest cars and the most um, cost-effective cars to drive. So that all brings me to the fact that I've joined a coalition that I'm so excited about. It's called the EV Charging for All Coalition. And the name pretty much says it, we want to support access to EV charging for all residents in California and beyond. We began this work in California and we have um, some folks in our coalition that are working to bring this to other states. And what we do in California is often the model for other states. So what we do is really important. The, what we are trying to focus on is building codes. This may sound boring. It may sound, oh, building codes, but I wanna tell you about cold water flats. And I'm wondering um, if anyone just uh, has had experience with cold water flats, does anyone know what I'm referring to? Is this a foreign concept to folks? I see Tanaka, uh, you, you know, it's, that's great. For those who don't know, up until the 1960s in our country, People living in low-income housing often did not have hot water. It was considered an amenity that um, cost more. You had to live in better housing to be able to get your hot water. And so residents of low-income housing had to literally boil all of the water they needed for their cooking and their bathing. That was in the 1960s in cities in the United States. And it wasn't until the government stepped in with codes, building codes and said, no, hot water should not be an amenity that you have to live in certain housing to afford. Every resident of housing, any housing built in our city must include hot water for their residents. And that is what we're trying to do with electrified transportation for EV charging, because the governor has staked out a very bold leadership position um, on climate, on the crisis and clean air crisis, saying that by 2035 in our state, you will not be able to purchase a new ICE or internal combustion engine car. So all the cars sold, the new cars sold in our state after 2035 will need to be zero emissions. This is awesome, an awesome idea because we need to get off gas cars and we can get off, off gas cars, but it needs to be done in an equitable way. And there's two pieces to the equity with cars, their affordability and their charging access. The, the government uh, and the state, local community choice aggregators, there are many incentives that help low-income um, communities um, actually be able to afford EVs. And my organization, Actera, a nonprofit based in the Bay Area, does financial incentive consultations, provides one-on-one um, -on -one training, as well as workshops on these EV um, charging rebate, or EV rebates, sorry, EV purchase rebates for new and used EVs. And so the piece about equity, about being able to afford it, is actually the easiest nut to crack. If you can give sufficient rebates to people that income qualify, you bring the cost of the EVs down sufficient that most folks can afford it. But if you don't have charging, you're not likely to get an EV because it's, it's the hassle factor, it's unfamiliarity, and it's actually cost because in our state, the only kind of electricity that's unregulated is electricity for electric vehicle charging. At your house, you have regulated costs because the CPUC um, has to dictate, they dictate to the utilities what rates they can charge. And so, of course, it's going up and the utilities have a lot of influence at the CPUC, as we know, but there's still predictability and there is a maximum that they can charge residents. And they're offering now very good rates for EV charging and time of use rates. And so we believe that in order to have this be an equity condition, we need to have EV charging in multifamily housing in our state and that the state should no longer allow builders to build new multifamily housing without the access to EV charging for every household. And so as Wendy mentioned, we did have a bill and I am so proud of this bill. Um, our coalition um, really came up with this idea. We found a fantastic author in Senator Ben Allen. He was a real champion on this um, and his staff are phenomenal. And we shepherded our bill all the way through the Senate and the assembly. And when it went to concurrence, it got 78% of the votes beyond a supermajority. okay? This is a very supported um, position in the California state legislature to have equitable EV charging provided and enshrined in the code by our state 
for all new multifamily housing. Unfortunately, the governor did choose to veto our bill. Um, I don't know exactly what he was thinking. I do want to give him credit that I do believe he's sincere in wanting to build affordable housing. And there is some mistaken understanding or under thinking that that giving the EV charging will make housing unaffordable. Well, housing is already unaffordable. The state is already moving to increase the charging requirements. Our proposal, I won't go in details now, it's too wonky, but basically we have a proposal that will actually keep the costs the same as what the code is proposing now, but it gives every household access. And so we are working closely um, with the governor's advisors and with HCD, that's the Housing and Development Agency, um, to see if we can help them understand the need for equity now that, you know, how long do you think folks have to wait for hot water? Uh, they shouldn't have to wait to billions to get built and then have to try to pay for the retrofits, which cost about 10 times as much later to retrofit. So that was a lot of talking without a pause. I could continue a little longer if you would like, and I could pause here for questions and we could take it into a dialogue. What would Let you like to- Let me ask you real quick about Prop 30. Um, Prop 30 in California, uh, can you characterize it and tell us how it segues with your work? Well, I'll say this, that Actera, my organization, um, has not taken a position on, on Prop 30, and we're a 501c3 and have limited, um, we have to be careful when we weigh in on C4 issues, and so I'm not the policy director, so I'm not going to speak for Actera, I'll say that, but I could take off my Actera hat if you'd like me to share my perspective as just somebody who cares about the issues Prop 30 is addressing. Would that be okay, Harvey? Yeah, so Prop 30 is, a, and again, we're California-centric here, but it's yeah. generic. Uh, Prop 30, as I understand it, would put in a tax on rich people, what a concept, um, and use the money to fund um, electric car charging. Is that is that an accurate characterization? And our wonderful governor, Gavin Newsom, has gone whole hog, and I will say whole hog, to stop this because a bunch of rich people don't want to be taxed to pay for electric car charging. Is that an accurate um, uh, characterization of Prop 30? I appreciate your question. I actually don't feel qualified to answer it. I wasn't coming on. I didn't know that would be a topic of discussion. And so, I mean, I have looked at the proposition and I, I would say that um, the goal of, of making sure that people can get EV charging is very laudable. Um, I do know that the um, Prop 30 does include um, not just electric vehicles, but hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. Um, and I do, we at Ectera, we have taken a stand that um, hydrogen fuel vehicles are um, not the way to go for light duty. They are more yeah. expensive and they, um, they're they just not what we wanna support. And so right. unfortunately Prop 30 supports both, but that's not saying I'm against Prop 30 nor for it. I'm, I'm still in the position of learning more about it myself, but well, I right. do think that the goal is important and I'm not sure, I just don't know enough about the mechanism to comment hydrogen on that. Hydrogen is definitely a scam. Many years ago, I, I actually got one of the few grants I've ever gotten to write a book on the hydrogen economy. It was the issue du jour. And I sat down for a month and I went back to the people who gave me the grant. And I said, listen, man, hydrogen economy is, is BS. It's not going to happen. But th then I had to write a book. So I wrote Solartopia instead. Uh, so but, I completely uh, agree. We, yeah. I think we could have a whole show on the hydrogen hype that is so real. It's really a threat to the climate, um, this hype around hydrogen. So yeah. thank you for, for, for validating that. Yeah, and they're, now they're talking about using nuclear plants to create hydrogen. I mean, come on. Uh, Tatanka, did you want to say something, Tatanka? Yes, uh, as I indicated to you, I'm hopeful of getting Denny Zane on next week. Denny's the one who actually uh, wrote that and got it to folks, uh, other folks to carry it after he got it, uh, you know, the, the enough signatures for it. Um, we are taking a stand at, at Romero uh, to vote yes on 30 wholeheartedly. There's some some issues like the hydrogen, which we don't support. Uh, I think Danny put that in there to uh, ameliorate some of the unions and it's more studying the hydrogen. Uh, there's also some for firefighting, which people didn't like. They thought that should get to other thing. And then there's a whole thing with the teachers union, which I won't go into now. But this is a bill that, that resulted in Governor Newsom with a multi-million dollar, you've probably all seen the ads uh, that are very misleading, you know, talking about it being, uh, you know, a boondoggle for Lyft and that Lyft originated it. That's not true. And uh, Denny can explain very well why Lyft was involved and I don't want to take the time to do it now. But 
I think it's because just what you said, everyone earning over 2 million a year will be hit with a 1.75% tax above that. It's chump change. But if you look at where the money is coming from for Prop 30, you, you'll be able to see that Newsom is running for president and he wants to run with the oil and gas money. I mean, that's important to him. He's done a lot of good things, but that issue I take, I take, uh, I totally disagree with. It's very important. This will provide billions of dollars going to for charging stations for all the things that we need to make it sustainable over the next 10 or 20 years. It's a very important bill. And I'm, I, I'm just so upset at the governor in the last minute just coming out on that position. But if we can have Denny on next week and give him, you know, I do want 15 to minutes. You mentioned next week, we will have Congressman, uh, Congressperson, Representative, U.S. Representative Jamie Raskin. Mm. Next week mm. he is scheduled in, Jamie Raskin, mm -hmm. from the um, uh, January 6th committee and also Jim Garrison from- um, Well, uh, if, if it, it would be right before the election, but we could have him on the following week probably, yes, before so the vote. Jamie Raskin next week. So anybody Wonderful. wants to see, see him in person uh, in Zoom, that would be uh, good. So Linda, in terms of charging stations um, and also building homes with charging, um, on, in, in the current tax law, are chargers built into new homes or installed in old, old homes tax deductible? Do you get a tax credit for a car charger? Wow, that is a good question. I don't know about a tax credit. That I, the, the IRA has changed some of the requirements, some of the things, and that might possibly be there. I do not believe that was there before. I don't know if it's there now. But I, I just wanna point out that the word charging station is a, it's a little bit, we try to avoid that term because it brings up the gas station model. And all you need to charge is to have an outlet that has sufficient power. So when I first got an EV, um, just use the car's cord set and plugged into my 110 outlet outside the garage. Because I live in a single family home, I had that access. And all the new housing that's built in the state, all the single family housing since 2015 was required to be built EV capable. So people could just do that, just plug right in. But multifamily housing, when the code was when this was adopted in 2015 in the Cal Green Code, only 3% of multifamily housing parking spaces were required to have to be EV capable. So from the very beginning, it's been unequitable. And they and the and the agency, to their credit, is going in the right direction. And they are going more ambitiously than other states. But as Bill McKibben says, winning slowly is the same as losing. Right. And we feel that for equity, um, we aren't moving fast enough. Absolutely. Uh, Ron Leonard, a great expert on solar. And then Tatanka, again, this is a very interesting discussion. Uh, at the end, we're going to leave some time for Ray Lutz, uh, who's got something to talk to us about um, um, of, of election protection. Go ahead, Ron. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Tatanka and then, and then uh, Ron. No, no. <laughs> it's getting late, guys. Ron was first, then Tatanka. There are six, still 59 people on the call, so uh, there you go. And then we'll go to Ray Lutz after Linda. Who's on first? Okay, so, Rob, you, you're first. I'm good. Uh, so when we talk charging, we might as well go into specifics. There's level one charging, which we were just talking about, which is 120 volt. There's level two charging, which is 240 volts, similar to what you would have from your washing machine, for example. You have that funny little plug with the funny little plug four prongs in it, and uh, that will charge your vehicle probably uh, sometimes three times as fast as your 120 outlet. And then there is the high voltage DC fast charger, like you see on Tesla's supercharger, where you can literally top off your car from 10% to 80%, sometimes in a half hour. All those things are very useful, but when you're, uh, when your own home is the charge situation and you have say a hybrid car uh, you could really get away with any of the least expensive charger that you want because you're probably charging it at night and it doesn't have a very big battery to begin with otherwise you at least want to have level two charge and if you want to spend the bucks you can you can get that the discounts that you see on charging are typically from the utility company your local utility company would like you to use more electricity. So they'll give you a discount on that electric charger that you put in. 
and we are seeing also some large discounts to the tune of $100,000 for uh, larger uh, charging stations on commercial buildings and multifamily buildings. And that's probably what's really needed in the long and short term. We need to have a good mixture. Tesla by far has the largest amount of charges in the marketplace. And more importantly, Tesla's charges tend to work as in they're available and are not dysfunctional when you actually need one. So there you go, a federal tax credit for electric vehicle chargers. And one of the unspoken uh, benefits of uh, uh, charging your car is that um, it, it, the, the car battery can power your house in reverse in, in case of an emergency. And, and so it, it, it is a two-way deal. I also want to point out that in West Texas at night, electricity is free in many cases because of wind power. That's right. And more wind power than they can handle. So wind power in West Texas, to coin a phrase, is too cheap to meter. And well, they actually get a production tax credit. They Even if they're selling at a negative cost, they still get the federal production tax credit. They're still making money and you are getting free power. There you go. So then you can charge your car at night. Uh, Tatanka, then Eric Lazarus, and then we're going to go to Ray Lutz. Yeah, three points. First, we'll I want to I, I thank Linda for all her work. It's just admirable work. We, we want to have you back again on the Circle of 100. Um, thank you. And when, when we were putting our bill together, when Romero was putting together a bill, which was, we got that passed and the governor signed it, um, Senate Bill 1230, um, what this does, we were encouraged to take out the part that you that you were working on, you know, and it was stripped down to simply, uh, but it's a really good bill that we got passed. All the, the credits, which are normally uh, given as a tax credit, people who are working people don't, they can't wait for a tax credit. They often don't even have any need for that. The car runs out. You need you need another car, and we want them to get an EV vehicle. So, what this does is on one website it takes everything, which is so difficult now in, in multiple plans and on the on one website it makes it really easy, easily understandable, and it's all upfront at the point of sale. And every car dealer will add up depending on your income situation. And you can get from 10 to 15 to 20, up to a little over $30,000, depending on your income situation. And that check is cut to the dealer. And then you might be left in some cases with 10 or $15,000 to buy a brand new electric vehicle, which makes it totally affordable, like a, a, basically no money per month for a while. So, but... The, the issue of the charging stations, when we went to the California Air Resources Board, um, when we realized that, of course, the infrastructure in low-income areas, in, in all, the total infrastructure, including the internet infrastructure, is so poor, it's a huge financial issue. And they just, uh, I remember uh, the board member asking the staff member, well, what are we gonna do about this? They had not a clue, really. They're used to dealing with the, the upper middle income class because those are the people with the lobbyists and all that, the people with the Teslas. And so they said, well, we can study it for a couple of years and come up with a plan. That's totally unacceptable. So Sarah Nelson brought it back and said, that's the bill, one of the bills that Romero is writing for next year. We have to figure out a way to fund that. And we are working together with Linda and others who are trying to get at the same thing. We may divvy it up but it has to be solved because otherwise it's not practical. Okay, um, Eric, uh, Ron, Wendy, and, and Linda, and then we'll end it there and go to Ray Lutz, who needs five minutes. So Eric, go ahead. Eric Lazarus, are you on mute? Hey, um, yes, just took me a moment to unmute. Okay, um, I just wanted to um, quote, uh, well, I won't use his name. I have a friend who spent a lot of time and a uh, very scientific guy who agrees with you that hydrogen is overhyped, but does think um, that there are specialty purposes like long haul trains, um, where having electric lines that are that long are a problem. Batteries you know, could work, but hydrogen may actually be the right solution and very special purpose application. I just wanted people 
to be aware that at least one brilliant guy who's looked into it thinks there are specialty applications for hydrogen. I'm Eric. All right, very good. Thank you for that, Eric. Uh, Ron and then Wendy. So I wanted to give you just a clarification. When you mentioned, Harvey, that there are trucks like the F-150, the Chevy truck is also available to put power back into your house. It does require that your charger, the little device that you plug in, it will accept the charge backwards into your house. There are a few of them that do that. You will see a lot more. And I believe you will see approximately five new cars, not yet the Tesla, that will enable you to power your house from your car or even more importantly, give the residents around you a little bit of a break in the times of 100 degree temperatures when you need to prop up the grid. Uh, lots of electric cars will physically do that quickly. Well, I, I want to power my house from my bicycle, but that's a different issue. There you go. Um, uh, Wendy and then Linda, and then we'll go to Ray Watts. Thank you so much. I'll be really quick. Um, I just wanted to, uh, and fabulous presentation. Thank you so much. Um, I wanted to bring it back to your initial point about the um, air pollution, because actually just before you started, um, she hopped off, but Dr. Carolyn Warren was sitting with, in with us, and she, she's a friend of the show. She's actually out in Australia. She's a, um, a neuroscientist that studies the effects of air pollution, and she's a climate activist, and more people die from that than anything. So um, I'll drop her YouTube, her, her TED Talk in the chat, and Linda, connect with me later, and I can connect you with her because the data behind that could really, really support the work you're doing. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Hey, Linda, you want to give yeah, us a- I'll just a say that, yeah, we, yeah, the clean air is really huge, and we, we're working, um, you know, we are partnering with the Coalition for Clean Air, um, who are helping with these efforts because um, the understanding is like, yeah, we have to get off of gas cars right away. Um, I guess the last thing I'll say is um, for those that are listening in that if you'd like to get involved with our coalition, we're welcoming new volunteers. Um, we especially welcome people who live in multifamily housing that would like to get electric, electric vehicles, but they're running into barriers of getting the charging. And so you're kind of giving up or just holding out. And so I'm gonna read out loud the, um, the bit.ly link. It's really simple. There's a little form you could just reach out to us it's just bit.ly forward slash EV access with the EV capitalized and access not. So bit.ly slash EV ACC. Yes, yes, yeah, it's in this chat. Yep. Thank you so yeah. much. You're absolutely great. Much appreciated. We still have 50, 57 people on the call. And we're going to end in about eight minutes. Uh, but we have the great Ray Lutz with us. Ray is a hero of the fight against the San Onofre nuclear plant. And now, Ray, you're going to talk to us about messaging, so please go ahead. Well, right, yeah. Everybody, next week we have Jamie Raskin uh, the, from the January 6th committee, so uh, don't miss that. Go ahead, uh, Ray. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, actually, I wanted to talk about uh, auditing elections and how we can deal with the the messaging dilemma around that because. Uh, you know, the met, right now, if you say, I want to audit the election, people think, oh, well, you must be an election denier or a Trump supporter who doesn't believe anything. Uh, and uh, if you come out and you say the election was okay, of course, then they're going to say, um, you know, you just didn't look hard enough. Um, so I put in the chat a link to the YouTube that goes over our um, solution for auditing called Audit Engine. And, and this actually came out of um, uh, about in 2006, I was working against Blackwater Worldwide at, in San Diego, their expansion effort. And they had a, they had a, a hand count of, a, of a, uh, an audit recalling everybody that voted for Blackwater to expand here. And I video recorded you know, the hand count as they were counting. And I thought, gee, that would be great to have that recording of the every ballot, you know, just take a picture of every ballot so we could double check it. And then I, I investigated auditing and, and how much it's done, which is actually quite a bit, but unfortunately it's by the election officials themselves. And they have a tendency to cover up any mistakes they might make because they don't want to um, you know, be said that they, they weren't doing a good job. So they have this sort of problem with, with reporting mistakes. But uh, at that time, there wasn't an, enough equipment that made um, images. And since then, um, Right now, about 93% of the largest counties in the nation now all create ballot images. The, the issue now is just trying to get to them so that we can audit it. And so, but in, in 2019, 
about this time, actually three years ago, to almost to the day uh, at the Berkeley uh, election integrity meeting, I announced uh, that we we're starting this thing called Audit Engine. I didn't think it would be so hard, but um, in those three years, we worked on it really diligently and now have uh, a solution that can audit elections. Uh, we did in this video that I posted, and if you can't see the, the link, then go to citizensoversight.org and it'll direct you to, to the video. But uh, we audited two counties in uh, Georgia and one more in Wisconsin. Um, and that's what this video and, and all the reports are about. Uh, we also had a case study of three Florida counties uh, earlier in the year. Um, we're still trying to get more ballot images. I wanna do the one in, in Georgia where, where the uh, person, um, there was something wrong with the QR code. It came up wrong and, and the person at first was behind. They had, they, she got no votes during the main part of the election, it turns out that when they did the recount, um, she got, uh, she won. Um, but let me give you a case where it would really, really help. In Long Beach, California. You got about had, two minutes, Ray, you got two minutes. Thanks. In it's Long wrong. Beach, California, they had a, uh, a, uh, a ballot initiative to extend the attacks. And there was uh, a bunch of people who um, didn't want the tax extended. Well, it passed extension by, 16 votes. Now, to do any kind of a sampling audit or anything like this, it's really impossible. You have to get all, say, 150,000 ballots to do it. And the charge for that used to be 25,000, but now with the voting centers, everything kind of scrambled. It was going to cost them 250,000. Now, with a ballot image audit, we could do it pretty quickly. But the thing I want you to think about, I know we're not going to have time to really discuss it here today. And it's kind of a, an issue where you, what you should do is maybe watch this video and try to get an understanding for what we've done. And then maybe in another meeting, we can have a deeper conversation about how to, um, how to re kind of readjust our, our terminology. Like saying an election denier is, is um, kind of a bad word to use because, not, not because I don't think that they are an election denier because they are right now, but it's because it, what happens is they say, well, anybody that audits elections are, is an election denier. They actually won't deny elections that they win. And maybe something like saying uh, um, somebody who thinks Trump actually won would be something that would be uh, more accurate for them. But um, I, I think in this meeting uh, and to the level that we can probably process things in, a, in this last couple of seconds, uh, go ahead and watch the video and try to understand what we've got here with Audit Engine and think about um, how we can use this tool and what is the best way to get the word out so that we can actually make sure that these elections are, are gonna be held properly. So, Cause here's the thing, I wanna make this one more point. A lot of these election departments are being taken over by um, you know, operatives for basically controlling the election and basically fixing it for the right wingers. And so we're gonna need to actually have a way to prove uh, based on the ballots that the election was went a certain way. And I think we, if we have that tool, then they're not gonna be able to, to fix the elections the way they want to. Okay, so that'll be it for me, Harvey. I'll let you go on yeah. with um, the other hands and maybe someone wants to make comments, thanks. Beautiful, we got two minutes left. Uh, Jeffrey, real quick, and then Tatanka, and then we're gonna be out actually at the top of the hour. Uh, Jeffrey, real quickly, please. And then uh, Tatanka, um, uh, we are at 6.58 Eastern time. Go ahead, Jeffrey. The question I had to I had a question for the woman one for that uh, native woman who was the pipeline thing and that woman for the Actera, no, well, there, she's gone. So uh, uh, she put her contacts in the chat. So go ahead and contact her directly, both of them. Okay. I was, and I was going to mention about the pipe, the water pipeline idea. Yes, yeah, so it should be a water pipeline, but you know, from where where is the water? We don't know yet. But it's a good idea if they can build a pipeline in eight nine hundred miles. From, for oil shell, they can certainly do one for water. But thank you for that, Jeffrey. Much appreciated. Uh, Tatanka, you get the last minute here. Okay, three quick points. The, pardon me? Go ahead. Uh, three quick points. Um, the Lourdes Huerta Foundation has documented that hundreds of people die in the Central Valley each year. That's the highest polluting 
area in the world. And the electric vehicles will save hundreds of lives every year. Camila Chavez testified to that in, uh, in the uh, California uh, workup to, uh, in the legislature this year. Secondly, when I say Romero Institute supports anything that is lobbying, it's their Christic Institute, which is a C4. And finally, Harvey, there is, I don't know if you're aware, the guy who invented the four-hour energy drink, he's really committed to the environment and he set up this whole thing. He has a, an invention which he has sent over to several African villages, a stationary bicycle and provides enough electricity for day and night for your basic electricity and your computer. So you can stay in shape and power those things. All right, we'll, we'll look into that. I, I'll try and get one for next week's show. Uh, everyone next week, we will have Jamie Raskin with us. Um, and uh, I'm going to ask him about a statue that I want to get changed in Washington, D.C. and uh, the first lady status for uh, uh, Sally Hemings and then other less important issues like the rise of fascism and protecting democracy. So uh, thank you all again. 54 of us still with us after two hours. It's fantastic. Um, and uh, I got to go see my grandkids. Uh, we love you all, and uh, it's very hard to say goodbye, but next week, Jamie Raskin, we're looking forward to it. Take care, everybody. This is another phenomenal two hours. Just incredible. So uh, take care, everybody. We'll see you next week. And Lisa, go blue. <laughs> Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got what we needed when the sun shone down on the Garden of